Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Decarb Connect podcast. I am joined by Carolina Bromo, the Chief Investment Officer of Pana Low Carbon Private Equity. And Caroline, you and I first got introduced, I think it was sort of late 2020. But welcome, welcome onto the podcast episode. Um, why don't I get you to kick off with how you've arrived at this point in time where you're on the Decarb Connect podcast. So we're going to be talking about what clean tech looks like post-COVID and post the kind of announcements, the early announcements of the Biden administration. So tell me, tell the listeners a little bit about how have you got to the point in time where this is this is your focus? Alex, thanks so much for having me. It really is a pleasure because I really think that we are at the tipping point uh, for everything low carbon um, and, and a lot of just great momentum um, just for the global economy. So what, you know, what brought me to this point is really a 30-year career in traditional infrastructure, um, commodity infrastructure specifically. And really what I see is that as really just the next revolution, you know, for that and for, you know, the, the, the infrastructure that we have globally uh, that's focused on, you know, energy, on agriculture, on real estate. Uh, and it was really the, the imperative to get the, get investments made today um, and to really highlight that there are technologies that are ready to be commercialized that can absolutely upgrade our supply chains and upgrade our infrastructure. Um, so part of the mission is, 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 a, is an educational mission. Um, the other is just, you know, is, is really you know, using my experience as a fiduciary and an investor um, to help other investors um, to come into the space. And a little on your background, I know um, I saw on your profile that, and I think you worked at sort of three of the biggest investment banks in there. Was it all in natural resources or energy? Is that right? Just give us a little bit of the background, because obviously now it's low carbon focus, but you've come from kind of industry infrastructure focus. Am I right? You're right, Alice. Um, so I actually started as a natural gas trader uh, almost 30 years ago, and then moved into banking. Um, and you're right. I, I I worked for you know several large European uh, investment banks, Credit Suisse, BNP, actually, and prior to that, uh, Deutsche Bank, um, and prior to that, Bankers Trust. Um, so I definitely was at the very forefront of of energy transition then, which was really about um, moving to natural gas from coal as, as, as one, you know, one really important um, industry shift. Um, and as well, you know, being at the forefront of the traded markets uh, for commodities, which were really nascent then, the WTI contract um, and the natural gas contract on the NYMEX had really just been launched in the mid 90s. And that's when I started. So it was an absolutely exciting time um, to, to be you know, in the market and really for technologies that have, have actually you know, come through in the last 30 years. You know, we had the shell revolution in the US. Um, we had the power generation or the power evolution um, towards renewables, towards solar and wind. And, you know, I, I got a front seat to that and to really fund the companies that were at the forefront of that. So it's, it was, it's been exciting. But interesting that you've, I mean, obviously the, those transitions between different types of fuels had their own, I'm sure, their own tensions or whatever, but you're kind of well prepared, I guess, for this next big transition. You've seen elements of this before, maybe not on this kind of scale or the speed of transition, but but the kind of the mechanisms and the elements of change are something you're familiar with. Yeah, and I think, and that's a really astute point, Alex, is an essential part of um, of how PANA um, is 
has formed itself and the partnerships that we have with corporations and with government is we see that, you know, the corporations and especially, you know, in the traditional fields, you know, in energy have this experience. They have this very experience to make these large scale shifts and to deploy this technology. And it's imperative that we work as a community to, to actually get this as the next phase they're done. You rightly put this, the magnitude of this shift we have never seen in our lifetimes. And it is the opportunity, frankly, of our lifetimes. Well, let's go back to this, um, the kind of theme that we talked about um, when we had our catch up the other week, which was really looking into what, what the clean tech market looks like now that we're kind of exiting, we hope, uh, this period of COVID. And now that we're starting to learn more, you know, six months, seven months into the Biden administration about where they're really, you know, going to be putting their, policy punch what what they're pursuing tell me from your perspective like what what looks like it's going to change and, and what are we going to see what do you expect to see you know in, in the short term as well as in the longer term I think I mean there's there's a balancing act that's going on um, for for the Biden administration and for the U.S. generally and I think it's really where we sit in terms of this, the the trends that have, have been emerging, mostly in Europe, um, where Europe has really taken a leadership role in you know decarbonizing you know all of our industries. Um, but I think the Biden administration has done a good job so far into thinking about how to upgrade existing infrastructure and make sure that we maintain existing jobs. And those those are in, you know in our existing industries. You know, it's taken 30, 40, 50 years, maybe you know 100 years to get to where we are. Um, so you just it's not possible to say you know to switch on a dime and say well you know everything's going to look different and we're going to have to build a lot of things. We're going to have to do that too but we absolutely have to maintain what we have and upgrade them and really think about that. I think the Biden administration is doing a good job of that so far. And in the same breath is that creating the right incentives and, and, and spending the right amount of capital to, to full scale build the things that we need and upgrade that technology and those that infrastructure. Um, so he's you know, definitely put the, the pedals to the metal in terms of that. And um, I think, you know, as with all government, you know, government policy, you know, it takes some time to kind of work through. So the incentive part of it will probably take some time, and which is why I think you know we really need to depend on corporate corporations and the private sector to pick up, um, you know, while this transition is happening, knowing that we have a huge tailwind um, with the government, you know, you know, moving in this direction. One of the things that we hear a lot at Decarb Connect, obviously, we're we're talking to the industrials in this mix, obviously with investors like you two, but the industrials are really kind of front and center of, of, of our focus. And so you've already mentioned one thing that comes up a lot, which is, again, we're not necessarily anti this work. We're not sort of denying the science. We are asking as industrials who provide millions of jobs and you know contribute billions, trillions to the economy, how to do this whilst maintaining a global or national competitive position. When you're outside of it, you're kind of like, oh, I just get on with it. But when once you start talking to these companies, you're like, that's not an unfair position to take. You know, how do we do this without blowing up part of the economy that um, 
you know, maintains a large part of the workforce. The other thing we hear a lot, though, is that they have a very long timeline. And so I'm interested in this from your perspective, because investors, depending on fund, have very different scales of timeline. Yes, that's a great question. So we so we frame up to the Paris Accord goals of 2050 um, you know, that were introduced in, in the initial COP, um, you know, where we're not raising surface uh, uh, temperatures by more than 1.5 degrees. And, um, and that leaves us a 30 year runway, which I thought was kind of an interesting um, perspective just on that in terms of matching it with what you rightly put is, is really a like the corporate planning cycle and how long these things actually take to get done. But interestingly, it actually gels beautifully with the investor timeframes um, that, that folks are looking for. So most large scale infrastructure investors are looking at 30 years plus you know, and they actually often complain that their funds available in the market or the way they could deploy capital um, is, you know, their or investors are saying, you know, 10 years is not enough. Like uh, we want a 20 year fund, um, which is, you know, there's several things going on there. And you have a lot of long-term capital de deployers like pension plans, like insurance companies that absolutely want that profile. I mean, when you look at infrastructure, you look at steady yields, um, you know, you look at a lot of things and attributes that are very stabilizing in, in portfolios for investors. So they're very interested, you know, in, in having, you know, this kind of focus and having more capital being put into, into these kind of projects um, and, and these kind of companies. There are the, those that are shorter term focused. So for those in mind, so let's say the next five years or even the next year, interestingly, you know, we've got a hugely accelerating market, mostly in the States for, um, for public market uh, companies. So companies that are, were private, um, you know, they are moving quickly towards either a traditional IPO or a SPAC vehicle. And that is really the marketplace that the public marketplace saying, we don't have enough sustainable companies. We don't have enough companies, you know, doing this yeoman's task. And we want to accelerate that. We want to give them the capital to do the next, you know, four or five projects. That that is materialized. That's happening today. We have no less than you know a half a dozen companies in our pipeline that are potentially looking at that as a financing vehicle, and that will that will come to fruition very quickly. Um, so I think it's it, you have a lot of space for different types of investors. You know, along this journey, um, I think you know in, in general we have the technologies that are ready to be deployed, are ready to come to these you know, quicker market scenarios. Um, and then we have those that need to be incubated that potentially won't, you know, will not be ready for market for a decade or so. And we need to invest in those too. Okay, so within that, with that kind of investor arc of people, you know, from very kind of quick fire venture stage through to a massive public market fund stage, how do you articulate those to people that you're investing in or who are looking to to bring funds to you yeah also, so so we would characterize ourselves as private equity um, and and growth equity if we have to pick a spot and i think more we are fulfilling a needed needed um, um, financing route where a lot of these technologies have they've been de-risked in terms of that they work so the see their seed capital their venture funds have taken them up to that level and then they're now looking to commercialize. And so they very much need teams that can come in and help them and introduce them to corporates, introduce them to you know, where, where incentives would make sense in terms of their financial models. 
Um, that's where Pana is playing. So where we pick up our companies is really late stage venture and help them to grow so where they would then be considered an infrastructure investment. So they have their first three or four projects done under their belt, and then they would be available or ready for some of the you know, the bank financing, some of the, you know, the green bond issuance, some of the, where there is a lot of capital sitting and where the, there's comfort in terms of risk and return. So we are very focused and on this, what I did not coin the term, but some of our um, companies coined the term, the valley of death, where this is where it's very critical for these companies um, to get equity capital um, and equity capital too, keep accelerating their technology, but also to see the first projects that they're going to deploy that capital, their, that technology into. And as a business like the stage you're at at the moment, so what, what sorts of investments have you got in, in play? So in terms of our portfolio, so the, the sectors that we're looking at, we think that are right now deployable into the market are in the waste to value sector. So we're doing a lot in terms of um, the transformation of different waste Plastics is a, is a huge area that we're looking at and creating a sustainable uh, packaging goods or, or, um, or materials that can be used, fuels or solids that could be used for that, for that almost endless demand by the consumer markets um, you know, to have non-fossil fuel-based packaging. So that's, that's an area that we're really filling out. Our, our thesis is to, is to continue to make investments in a space and, and maybe look a little bit uh, earlier stage when we can after we make our initial investments. So that's one that we've made several investments in. Um, Baseload power generation is another area that we've made um, several investments. Um, both from just the, you know, the, the concept that, we, that I think a lot of investors are comfortable with or understand the limits of solar and wind in terms of their intermittency. So the fact that you know, they only work when it's sunny or windy, and you know, but power generation needs or the needs of consumers is, is 24 hours a day. So we need to store them. So all manner of energy storage in terms of batteries, um, non-battery solutions, other base load types of um, power generation like geothermal we're looking at. We've even looked into nuclear as, as many parts of the world are very interested in that, have that in the mix right now, and in, in, even in places in the US. This year, actually more and more what we're hearing from industrials is, but what can I do now? What can we do now? You know, so there's a lot of interest in uh, those those areas that you've talked about. Uh, so uh, waste to value, definitely uh, distributed uh, storage, and also what's what else do we keep hearing? I guess I guess actually the kind of the less sexy area of just plain energy efficiency, whether that's through good digital data usage and, and things like that. But it's interesting. It felt like when we first started working in these sectors, it, it was about those big tech big kind of hardware, big plant scale uh, additions that they might need to make. And right now it's kind of almost shrunk back to, right, those are great, but what are we gonna do in the next two or three years to start moving moving the needle? Um, but it's interesting, I mean, obviously we're on an audio podcast, so the, the listeners can't see you, but you're obviously very passionate about this space and about the work that you're doing. So what is it that made you make the shift from the kind of, energy and commodities, which is obviously part of this picture, but into low carbon, what, what was it that sort of pushed that final decision to, to launch Pana? 
is really the uh, the availability of the investment opportunities. It really is the investment opportunity that I think is the biggest that I've ever seen in my lifetime, and I think most of us will see. So it was it was really you know just an excitement about continuing to grow with the industries that you know I've always loved and you know and been a part of. So to me, it was pretty natural. You know, coupled with though the fact that you know, as a steward of the earth um, and, and of the environment, my whole life is that we need we needed to get busy, and and I felt that that was a good use of my time, um, and hopefully to to work with, you know, investors, but also friends and family, you know, to to really get those messages out. So, for me, it was it, it was pretty natural. And I guess also to have, you know, a, a business that is nimble and can actually um, can move quickly was very important. And I, I have, I'm all a very, have um, a lot of hum, uh, humility and a lot of um, thanks for the institutions that I've worked with that have set the stage for, you know, our professionalism as fiduciaries. Um, but often it's hard to get things done, you know, when in, when in a larger moving organization with a lot of history. And I thought that was important with Pana to set the state stakes and set our investment process out to be fresh um, and to look for these these two important pillars of return, but also, you know, climate reduction. And, and I would say, Alex, as well, the other pillars of ESG, you know, there's other pillars in E in E besides climate, so other environmental factors, but also the S and the G. So interestingly, in our investment in our investment process, we don't get to talk as much about um, diversity and, and social governance, but it, it is absolutely it's intrinsic to to our to our process. So we and we're finding a lot of companies that that are meeting those those standards. So it, it's very exciting. Um, so you know, a lot of it is just is being able to enact those things, you know, quickly um, and build. Well, one of the that kind of leads nicely, actually, those ESG factors into one of the areas of, um, I guess, contention or discussion or something in the last, feels like particularly in the last 12, 15 months has been like, to what extent is there a tension between a fiduciary duty to an investor versus this kind of duty or whatever someone may perceive it as to climate? And I'm, I'm wondering... Like, what does that mean to you? How do you address that? Because obviously it was something, not just the previous administration in the States, but it's the world over, people are talking about that. Like, what is the balance of those responsibilities? So how do you uh, conceptualize that? How do you think and sort of talk to people about that? Uh, to me, Alex, it's all about risk management. So, you know, I, I view our job first and foremost is to, is to de-risk um, the investments that we are putting in front of our investors um, and, and to really classify them or create a framework. And I think, you know, when you do that, then the, the space becomes a lot more open. I think you, you, you rightly put in terms of, you know, just the timing to market, you know, which technologies are most ready, just in terms of, you know, their com commercial readiness. Um, but also how then you would mo you model in that readiness. So essentially creating a financial model that looks like any other company that investors would look at. Now there's complexity to it, or there's additions, which are things like incentives or premiums for the products that they sell. So be able to create more revenue. But when, when you get that down to a, a common financial language, then that it becomes just, you know, again, like everything else for investors, and we, we take that very seriously at Pana. So I think there's, it's really the marriage of just, you know, kind of the environmental movement meeting, you know, mass finance. And I think that's where we are today. I think that's what we need. 
Um, and I think that, you know, um, I don't just think, I know that, that you, can, you can achieve market-based returns and also you know, reduce a lot of carbon. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. We believe that they're, they're consistent. Um, and I think it's just, it's the way you frame it, the way, obviously the way you're, and where you're sourcing the opportunities and how you're thinking about you know, the timeframe you know, in which it, you can deploy them. The other, the other aspects, I guess, of all this that also has had a bit of, um, I suppose, just a, has come under the microscope a bit more is also what ESG or what, what that kind of approach of focusing on uh, environmental uh, performance really, really is achieving. I know we, we had a speaker from Massive Capital to our event in January who um, was talking about that. And uh, even in the news, not that long ago, um, BlackRock's former chief investment officer was kind of pointing to something similar, which is, you know, there, there's a lot of kind of interest in exploiting the E of ESG, I think was that kind of key phrase that he was using, but that actually driving real change in the environment may not always drive the same I don't know, I guess there's this question, is it going to drive the same kind of return um, as people are used to? I, again, what's your perspective on that? I think the timing to market is different and you rightly put for things, some things that you also focused on on the show of, you know, of hydrogen and carbon capture and that this is where we're, we're looking for government to kind of catch up, you know, to some, to actually, the, you know, the, the, where the technology is, but provide some incentive to investors to come in early. So, you know, in order to, de, you know, to de-risk it. I think that part of it too is the, is just the very nature of the uh, the type of technology investment. So, and you rightly pointed to um, a very large vertical, which is more of the kind of like systems-based AI type of type monitoring type technology that is very much needed, but is not, it's what I call asset light. It doesn't involve in being deployed into, you know, big projects that are gonna cost a lot of capital. So, you know, CapEx, I guess, versus OpEx. And I think marketplace is more comfortable with, you know, this more system space, not asset like approaches. And so I believe though, when you think about the returns of marriage, the marriage of that, you know, then, you know, you, you'll, you'll see that there's, there's proper returns for each of the stages of each of those types of technologies and, and even in their evolution. So I think it's, it's a, it's a much bigger topic when folks, say, listen, it, you know, returns potentially could be inconsistent, you know, with a, with a, with a, you know, higher level environmental um, obligation. I think there's a space for a lot of investors in, you know, in, in all of those spaces um, as we look out over time. Okay, I guess the other thing that we see is also that many of these funds do extremely well, like they are perform extremely well, but, but again, then there's an additional criticism of that is, but are they focused on the things that are going to make game-changing moves in the climate space? Or is it rewarding companies that can easily push off responsibility for their uh, carbon dioxide or, or other emissions further up a value chain? Again, coming back to the industrials, not, I, I sort of start sounding like I'm slightly protective of them. They don't need my protection. They are massive. They can manage <laughs> their own lives. But I think it's interesting that they are at the kind of the sharp and pointy end of this stick, aren't they? They don't have many other places where they can push off responsibility for emissions. It is what it is. So how do we also make sure that capital goes, goes there and not just on rewarding companies for divesting of that responsibility somehow? 
I, that's really astute. And and I think, listen, and you said you were like, they don't need your protection, the industrials. We, I, we work a lot with them too. They have a lot of capital and sitting on balance sheets. And and I think, you know, and now with the kind of, um, you know, obligations or promises they made to the market in terms of carbon reduction is that they, they have to turn around and say, how am I going to upgrade the supply chain? We have to spend some money. And they have the money, which is the good news. So I think that's changed tremendously. And so, and again, a lot of the thinking about the inconsistency of like high market-based returns and, you know, in, in an environmental focus has really been that there hasn't been the end user. Like the end user has not been demanding the, the technology, frankly, you know, and now we have, we have corporations that are absolutely demanding it. And we have consumers that are demanding products from those very corporates that will, that will satisfy their sustainable goals. So I think is everything's shifted massively, you know, in the last couple of years. And so when people say to me, you know, how is it different this time? You know, we were around for clean tech 1.0, 2.0. That's the difference. That is absolutely the difference. And we're now seeing that to start to, to engage. And, and so I, I believe that you're going to see higher, you're going to, by very virtue of it, just supply demand as a commodity person, I say, you know, you're going to, you just have more demand for it. And then for, for you and your investment approach and your lens on this, like what, where are your kind of hard lines or boundaries around like whether, whether you're going to invest in companies that aren't, you know, aren't yet in that sustainable space to help them get to the sustainable end of manufacturing? You know, I, I don't know. What's your, what's your, again, what's your perspective on how to manage this kind of particular stage of the transition where, Yes, there are many companies that you're already identifying where it's just a total no-brainer, absolutely in your sweet spot. But then there's going to be all these other companies around the edge that maybe need that transition. Is that, I mean, is that a place where Panel will play, or is it, is that, I, I guess maybe that is that in the mix for your investment? It, it absolutely is, Alison. And, and I think you know we are not purists in in our approach of that. You know, there are some groups and there and some investors say, listen, I only want to focus on investments that are non-fossil fuel driven, you know, meaning that there are technologies that would not go into traditional fossil fuels, meaning in, in any of their infrastructure and supply chains. We're, we're not in that camp. You know, we, we absolutely believe, as I stated kind of in the beginning of the, the fact that these are the these are, this is the infrastructure that, that we need to upgrade. So we absolutely need that. And I think, you know, I'm, I won't be the first to say, you know, that, you know, we, we continue to need fossil fuels. And we talked a little bit about Biden, but we also have investors. We have Warren Buffett who, you know, who talks about, you know, this transition and the timing that, that we need. So we, um, so we absolutely play in, all of the technology spaces, because today we, you know, the power generation stack requires, you know, that we continue to look at some fossil fuels, you know, as well as not just power generation, but in our consumer world. So we have to do what we can today. And there's technologies to be deployed to those very sectors. And again, and the companies have the capital to deploy them into the, the, that sector. So I think it makes a lot of sense, um, but, Marrying that with the, you know, with, I would say, a, you know, a goal of looking for a world where we have transitioned, you know, and we are looking more, a lot of things you mentioned, you know, at hydrogen or carbon capture, you know, that those should be invested in. And there's an, there's an investor type and there's a time frame in which those are the most appropriate. So essentially, there's 
there's space for everyone in terms of the way that they're thinking about these things. Because it's, last thing I'll say is it's very personal to a lot of, even there if they're institutional investors, this is, there's a lot of emotion that, that's involved in this and how you think about this, about if it's the environment, the lives of your children or, you know, your family or those around you, um, you know, and so there, there's a, a lot of, I guess, personalization <laughs> that goes on with a lot of these investments. Well, we think it's personal in, in our generation. I guess all of us have a reckoning coming as the kind of people in their 20s and 30s build their own wealth and start to want to deploy that in the market. And it's a, it's a whole load more personal and more kind of uh, ingrained, isn't it, I think, in, in the, next, the next couple of generations. So if you're not building the funds that these people can gravitate towards and if other types of funds aren't being created, then we're all missing an opportunity, I, I suppose, is, is my gut feel on it. Lovely to talk to you, Caroline. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Alice. We'll come back and we'll talk and we'll have some proof in the pudding. So thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for joining me.